Each episode of Brain Health Unchaining Your Pain with Dr. Ruth Allen is for educational and demonstration purposes only. The information shared in each episode should not be interpreted as medical advice. This episode should not be used to self-diagnose or self-treat any health, medical or physical condition. Do not use this episode to avoid going to your healthcare professional or to replace the advice they give you. Consult with a trusted healthcare professional before doing anything contained in this episode. If you have any questions or concerns, please contact www.ruthmaryallen.com forward slash connect. Welcome to the show, Brain Health Unchaining Your Pain. I am really excited to be with the wonderful Pip Delamere Wright on the show today at the beginning of Mental Health Awareness Week. Welcome to the show, Pip. Hi, thanks very much. Oh, you're most welcome. And for those that don't know Pip, um, she is a retired officer, having served 17 years in the British Army. During this time, she served in various countries and was the first female army commando. Congratulations. Um, and as part of that, she served in three commando brigade and was deployed on Optelic One after the birth of her son in 2012 and the death of her brother from cancer and her mum attending chemotherapy. She suffered from postnatal depression. I'm really looking forward to talking about that. Um, and thankfully, the military unit in Catterick really literally saved your life. And after she retired in 2014, Pip retrained as an outdoor leader, which I am super passionate about as well, working with children with additional support needs and more recently qualifying as a therapeutic forest practitioner, which sounds fascinating. And um, Pip proactively spends time focusing on and supporting others encouraging positive physical and mental health so really massive welcome to the show and there's loads of stuff that I know we've got in common so <laughs> I'm super excited to see how this conversation goes but before we really start I would love to know what you are passionate about in life right now. Um, I think quite simply just being outdoors um, it's the thing that really ignites my passion I could talk about the benefits all day I could spend my own time outside um all all day and if somebody comes to me for a recommendation the first thing I say is get outside a bit more it's my total passion and what I really try and um encourage people to do of all ages yeah I totally agree and I absolutely love the outdoors and we're big outdoor adventurers in our family my husband and I both being um, myself military uh, mountain leader and ski leader and him and uh, ex um, on all other activities as well and being outdoors is kind of our home and it certainly is for our daughter Lily too who's who's four and a half and um, I am with you I can't um, underestimate the power of being outdoors because yeah, it's such absolutely. an amazing feeling yeah I mean I'm very lucky to be able to work outdoors um and my husband as well and we've see the benefits hugely with other people when they spend time outdoors um and uh other children as well and the feedback we get from what they've experienced from being outside is all positive positive. And when did you, I'm really curious, because I can tell you like 
particular point in my life when my passion for the outdoor world started but when did it start for you? Gosh for me I was so lucky I grew up in Scotland and um, my parents we lived pretty much in the middle of nowhere um, my father was really keen on um, introducing us to the outdoors and I guess kind of like the almost the old boy scouts way that he used to play as a child the campfires and um going out and getting a rabbit um you know trying to fish with a bit of string a hook and a and a bit of wood over a, a small burn and just yeah just being outdoors and just really embracing childhood and for me that started um i would anticipate as soon as i could walk um the photos that my my parents have is all of us outside and it didn't really matter what weather either which I think gave me a really good start in life whether it was raining snowing sunshine which doesn't happen that often in Scotland um but yeah we were <laughs> when it happens we it's out- beautiful yeah totally we were we were outside all the time and I I don't remember spending time indoors other than when I was hoiked in to come and actually eat something and uh, or it was bedtime (laughs) I I have similar recollections not quite um not quite Scotland but uh, in the back of the garden using my dad's old scout tent sleeping sleeping out in the tent and just reveling in the fact that we were outdoors under canvas and and really enjoying the outdoor life and exploring the woodland. And uh, my dad came up with stories of Peter and Paula Pixie who lived in the woods. So we always used to go and explore and listen to the pixies in the trees by putting our ears onto it and, and all sorts yeah. of magical things. I mean, I, th- I think it stands to, to testament that my my mum still recounts um, one incident where I something had upset me a, a huge amount and I decided, um, I think I must have been about six, uh, thinking about it. I was going to leave home. That was me. I was done. I packed all the essentials, which consisted of two uh, plastic bags full of soft toys, all the cuddly toys that I, I possessed. And I marched out the back door and marched into the woods and sat down under a huge beech tree and that was me I set up camp and that was where I was going to live for the rest of my life or I think uh, the next half an hour until I got hungry and went home (laughs) (laughs) oh that's brilliant our daughter Lily recently said that she was going to move to the mountains by herself when she was 10 and live in a house in the mountains and we were going to live in Australia and she'd visit us every now and again I think that's fantastic and I I encourage it um wholeheartedly yeah follow follow that dream (laughs) so I'd love to know um what led you from being you know growing up in the wilderness of Scotland which is a fantastic place to to be to to getting involved in the military how did that journey um evolve that's such a an interesting point to go over because I think with my achievements everybody is convinced that it was a lifelong passion for me or that I had a lot of family influence but actually it it came about circumstantial I was revising for an exam and I noticed an advert that said gap year project with the army and it promised um, physical sport travel uniform all the sort of you know nice little sparkly treats that that tempt you 
And I thought, yeah, this sounds pretty good. I'll, I'll give it a go. And I went along and I, I passed and I did a gap year with the army and it, it just ticked all my boxes. I absolutely loved it. And I, I just thought somebody wants to pay me to be fit, to spend time outside, whatever the weather, give me something to wear. Uh, it was to me, I just thought it was great. And and that's how I, I fell into the military pretty much just out of, out of turning the right page in a magazine, seeing that advert and, and making a phone call. Wow. And how did it transpire from there into be becoming a, a commando? I was my first posting was I was, I was very lucky. I, I love my sport. I love my fitness and, and training. And my first posting, I actually was um, down at the infantry training centre at Warminster. I actually had chosen to be part of the Adjutant General's Corps and the Education okay. Training Services. So I was a teacher. And um, but this, all the units down there were infantry. So every time I went to the gym, I was hanging out with the infantry. Every time I was running up the hill, it was the infantry guys, the B, BPFA, all that sort of stuff. And somebody from there went down to do their own all arms commando course. And whilst they were on that course, there was a discussion about allowing females on the course. And the group were invited to um nominate or recommend anyone and this guy said there's this absolute lunatic at warminster who just <laughs> runs around never stops and yeah she'd give it a go um and again it was another phone call saying we've heard about you and do you want to come down and do these tests and see if it would work if it's feasible we're not going to say this is what's happening at the moment but um that's how it started and then it that kind of went on for about a year with testing and perhaps we'll open it up to females, perhaps we won't. And then I actually deployed to Kosovo. Um, and while I was deployed on um, in, in Kosovo, Operic, I randomly found myself attached and working within three commando brigade. Um, mm-hmm. And this was my first exposure to working with Royal Marines and army commandos. And whilst I was attached and working with them, I, had um, a message from um, Limpston letting me know that a female officer had booked herself onto uh, the next Army Commando course, which would be starting the following year. Mm-hmm. And would I be interested if I ever wanted to put myself forward for it? This was the time to do it. And, you know, they were going to give me this opportunity. So I, I actually canvassed all the guys around me and because they, they've been on the course, they've done it. And I said, well, what, what do you think guys, you know, do you think this is a ridiculous notion? Are you massively anti this or do you think it's even feasible? And I was met with so much positivity and the guys were just like, yeah, go for it. It would, it would, you know, you know, really be something, you know, life changing um, for everybody, just give it a go. And I'd been training with them again in the gym and out on the runs and things like that. So I think that really gave me the confidence to go back um, and speak to my boss and say, yeah, this is something I'd I'd want to give it a go and give it a shot. So it it all came about really circumstantially and and sort of just as an opportunity. Um, And I'm an opportunist. I, I just, if someone's there and says, do you fancy this? And I can't find a good reason to say no. I'll generally say yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love the fact that you, you'd you obviously built the relationship up with those in the gym 
by doing all of the fitness so they already knew you know what you were your commitment level and also what you were capable of in the context of of the training regime that you you'd be put under in the in the in the future uh, for signing up to this so great sounding board for yourself yeah um, I mean the guys I was out there with were, were really inspirational as well and I'm, I'm not just talking about officers um, I, I was an officer, but I mean, actually working with um, Royal Marine and Army Commando soldiers, there's just something really different about them. It does make mm -hmm. them them stand out. They're they're articulate, they're intelligent, they they have an opinion. Um, more often they're not. They're very upfront with telling you what their opinion <laughs> is, <laughs> whether you want to hear it or not. Um, but yeah, it was it was just really great, and I thought I would really enjoy working with these people in the future that sounds great and and how did the training transpire from you know going on to the army commando training on the actual course itself yeah so yeah the, the course is it was particularly tough i would say of course it was the most physically grueling element of of training and and, and physical challenges that i've i've done um mainly because it's all back to back so you just literally go from one day to another um i took a long time to train for it and i didn't push myself beyond what i needed because i knew i would get fitter whilst i was on the course mm -hmm. i think i was quite lucky at this time i spoke to the pti in the gym um i took time to train and my boss was very supportive of it i'd studied sports science so and human biology so my background and my degree supported my my training methodology and i i never felt like i needed to prove myself better than anything i think the the best piece of advice i was given by the pti at the gym at the time was work with your own body weight he said if if you can carry that and you can carry that without any problem i.e. if you can do a marathon, if you can do heaves, if you can do press-ups, for as long as somebody needs you to do them, you won't have a problem. Um, so I got myself to the standard of the entrance tests. Um, I can't remember what they were, as <laughs> we're talking quite a few years ago, but that none of the standards were changed for any of, of the actual course and none of the entrance standards were changed. Mm -hmm. So I was, yeah, alongside everybody doing everything exactly as it was supposed to be done. Wow, that's brilliant. And I know the standards are the same now across the board uh, from a military perspective um, compared to what they used to be. Um, so I think that's amazing that you, 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 you know, great opportunity to have, you know, for it to be a level playing field. Yeah, I mean, I, I really didn't know. I, I went into it with such an open mind. I think because I'd been invited, it wasn't mm -hmm. a big dream of mine. I'd always aspired to do this um, because I'd taken a sensible approach to training. I had a, a really amazing support team around me. Um, my boyfriend at the time had done the course. He'd actually been the commando medalist. So he he was very um, knowledgeable. I My parents were hugely supportive, you know, my boss. So I had this really great team and I think that really helped. But I also went with very limited expectation. And I always tell people there's a, a, um, a film called The Prince's Bride um, with, I think, Cara Elwes. And, and he talks about how he went on a pirate ship and the pirate captain said, you know, thanks very much for what, all your work today. I most likely kill you in the morning. 
And so he went to bed every night thinking it was his last night and tomorrow would be his last day. And I kind of took that on board. So I didn't unpack the first week I was there. And literally every night I went to bed thinking, great, well done, made it through today, probably the last one. I might be going home tomorrow. And I, I always just took every day as it came. And if I was successful and I managed to get into bed at night in one piece, I was eternally grateful and humbled. <laughs> and yeah, just took each day as it, as it came. What was the most challenging part of doing the course for you personally? I um so the background to me doing the course is I was actually removed from the course in the final couple of days that my first attempt um there was quite a lot of political issues surrounding that mm-hmm. I was entitled to reapply as everybody um who is discharged from the the course for the reasons I it was written down that I was discharged for or RTU'd return to unit and I went back again everyone's entitled to three attempts Mm -hmm. I went back again but the second attempt I hadn't rested enough between my first attempt which I'd literally was failed three days before the end I turned around and went straight back on the next course um, and I'd actually developed a cyst on my spine which I didn't realize until I took that couple of weeks between the two courses and then tried to put myself back into that physical situation so I was then medically discharged on the second one which left me one shot left to go um and I took some time out to rest and recuperate and gather my strength physically and mentally and then literally within the last part of the time frame um put myself applied put myself back on um for my third and final attempt so no pressure um when I was on the course for my third and final attempt I developed a mental block I'd met another female officer who was trying to get on the all arms course as well I'm five foot six I five foot seven if I've stretched well in the morning (laughs) I guess and I think she was five foot nine and she had told me that uh, I'd met her literally on an obstacle course when I was training um and I come across her and she was like oh hi I'm just training I was like that's great how's it going and we had a really good chat and she said, oh, I just can't get over this six foot wall um, with all my kit on. I don't know why, you know, and I was, I was like, OK, well, you know, keep going, all this sort of stuff. I went back on the course and I suddenly told myself I'm smaller than this person. I'm uh, I, I'm a couple of inches shorter. If she can't get over a six foot wall, how am I going to get over the six foot wall? And I just mentally told myself I couldn't do it. Um, And so I I was successful on every part of the course and I failed the bottom field getting over the six foot wall and I failed the first time and I failed the second time and everybody gets three attempts at the commando test and this was my third attempt and obviously I passed um, because I wouldn't have been successful in gaining my green berry but yeah so my my nemesis on my commando course was uh, the six foot wall. Um, Wow. Yeah. And and all yeah. in your mind. All in my mind. So an incredible thing to realize um afterwards. And it fascinates me how our mind can play tricks on us and how I mean, yes, the mind controls everything, but do we really understand how much in control it is? Um and I guess it, it is can be a really scary thing when you're not in control of your own mind, which 
happen to me later on in life. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, isn't it uh, an example of how much power our mind can wield over us? Um, Absolutely, yeah. We're, you know, yeah. when actually we're far more capable than we give ourselves credit for, even though you'd, you know, mentally proved yourself worthy on every other aspect of the test um for some reason that that conversation that you'd had with this person had you never had it you would have probably yeah. never had that thought absolutely yeah. um yeah yeah Crazy. we 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 call them in the um the aiming clinics that I, who I work with we call them automatic negative thoughts and they just mm -hmm. come up and we have thousands of thoughts every day and yeah some of them are true and but most of them are not true and it's yeah. depending on what we choose to listen to it, yeah it I mean, it's the outcome in our lives yeah it's, it's been hugely interesting sort of um taking my own journey and more recently looking at the therapeutic skills and then setting up the opcaring gorns to help other people with mental um issues and and really delving into um the brain and um how it can really sort of affect you and and yeah convince you to do one thing when you know your body's capable of doing another thing um yeah i do find that that interesting so how did you i'm super curious and you might not be able to recall but how did you manage to drown out that negativity that you were telling yourself what was the clincher for you to 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 accomplish what you were telling yourself you couldn't um the fact that i knew I, I i went down and i physically did it and i did it again and again and again um with help I, there was a pti there's always an army pti on the course and then there was actually a guy attending the course who was who who was a pti as well so he was mm -hmm. actually attempting to get his green berry at the same time and PTIs in the army again they just want to see people succeed they're they're hugely positive um even when they're screaming at you <laughs> and yeah they just they I, I went and I said I I I need some help and in fact I've remembered exactly what got me over that wall the PTI on the course um took me aside and it was the morning of me having the final um attempt at the bottom field with the bottom field, you have to start off on the Tarzan assault course, which is yeah. at the, the top of the center. And it's an aerial obstacle course. And it, it's horrible, really horrible, but great fun. It's it's all those things. It's a bit like parachuting. <laughs> your stomach's up in your mouth. And you think at every point you're going to drop and fall, anything. And he said to me on my warm-up, he, he took me to, to one side and he said, right, um, Captain Satsal, you need to listen to me. And I was like, okay. He goes, um, this is the, the time that you need to get to pass it. And, and we had to um, all do it. I think it was under 13 minutes. And again, please don't quote me. I haven't looked up my time, so I, yeah, I wouldn't right. know. But that's that's a rough guideline. He said, you've, you've got 13 minutes to do this. He said, on average, the top part of the assault course needs to be completed in under 10 minutes in order to do to have the time to do the bottom bit or mm -hmm. under that's not that wouldn't work out in under seven minutes in order to complete the bottom element mm -hmm. of it within the time frame he looked at me and he said the time you're taking up here is one of the fastest times on this course you have time to stop and breathe he said stop and breathe and you'll do it and just telling me that I had that time and I could 
take it and put it into that situation. And there was a video of me taken by the Royal Marines when I was actually doing it. They wouldn't allow anyone else there. They they went a blackout on the press, etc. But they they did video it themselves. We didn't have a lot of mobile phones going at that time. <laughs> but on the footage, you see me running. I do the aerial assault and I actually fell up there. So I, I was thinking, oh, my God, that's it. I'm, I'm done. No, come on, let's do this. And I run down to the bottom field um and i did the first couple of obstacles and the next one is the water jump like the steeplechase jump and i jump it and then you're you've you've got a couple of meters before the six foot wall and you see me stop breathe wipe my hands and i'm doing this now because i can remember it wipe both my hands on my thighs and just breathe and then look up at the wall and just think now or never that's it but i took that condor moment that everyone talks about and I ran at that wall and I hooked my elbow on and I knew as soon as my elbow was up there that I would do it um yeah. but yeah so Amazing. I have a I have a lot to be thankful for of that that little bit of um that motivation from someone who believed in me which again is a, a huge a huge supporting um factor to anyone who doubts themselves if you can get a little bit of moral support that can stop those negative neurons firing and start getting the positive ones going what 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 a difference it makes absolutely absolutely and I, I you know with that in mind I'm curious to know what does optimal brain health mean for you personally in the context of your life's journey gosh it's <laughs> it's a funny one because I don't think my brain's ever worked at optimal balance because sorry optimum brain health for me is is about balance I'm learning okay. that now later in life I I think as a child it doesn't apply you just well I just ran around and just did whatever I did and then I think you're your 20s you think you're invincible so you physically just all out um and I I, I think yeah I jump around from physical to emotional to um mental and and uh, you know all these different things and it's i think if you were looking at balancing out your your optimum health it it would be about trying to balance all of those elements and and keep them at at, at um useful levels you know mm -hmm. i think once one's going spiraling out of control it's having the ability to recognize that and, and trying to bring it back to yourself again so it might be you're on burnout because you're trying to do too much physically it might be you've not eaten properly it might be sleep deprivation it might be emotional stress or or even you know the the emotional strain of of being a mother or you know a parent that that can be hugely um, influential I think on they they press our buttons more than anything somehow um so I think trying to balance it is is what you need for for optimum brain health you know I love that I'm not sure anybody's mentioned the word balance um all right <laughs> yeah no because it's really important isn't it because it's like um being on a I always like to think we're on an emotional ship um and we're all sailing in an ocean of emotion and balance is like steadying the ship, you know, it's, yeah. it's like finding your flow through yeah. the, you know, through the ups and downs in life and not letting the ups and downs um, make you feel like you're a, you, you're out of control and you're a victim mm -hmm. and stuck on a roller coaster ride and you can't 
you can't get off it. Um, well, if you, if you think about all the, yeah, all the advice is, you know, if people are stressed, like, well, take time for yourself, you know, or make sure you see your friends. If you're not sleeping, it's okay, well, balance your work, um, you know, work-life balance. Um, you know, if you're showing signs of physical degeneration, how is your um, metabolism? How are you eating? So there, there are all these things. And yeah, if you if you just look at the balance in your life, you know, one is normally out of kilter, but you, you have to be quite honest with yourself about that. And I think honest with what you're capable of, of dealing with. And, and that, I think that comes later in life, you know, with a little bit of experience, you don't necessarily have that. Um, and that's, I think, why you, you get to a certain point where you know you're you're happier with yourself as in you it takes us a long time to understand ourselves and how to optimize ourselves so can I push myself physically can I push myself mentally mm -hmm. can I bring those things together and and at what what point am I going to crack what time mm -hmm. what point do I need to step back and actually say I've got to rebalance this again um, before mm -hmm. I move forward yeah which is much like you mentioned on that need to pause and you know reflect and refocus is not letting yeah. your men mental um mindset with your thoughts that were rumbling around put you out off balance and and yeah. not and not achieve your objective or, or or your physical performance be you know reduced um or or your physical symptoms be expressing what may be off kilter out of balance from a mental perspective or from an emotional perspective, depending on what's going on in your life. I'd love to for you to take us to a time, if you wouldn't mind, where that balance, where you're completely out of balance, if if you're willing to take us on on your journey there. Yeah, I mean, I I think probably now I'm consciously aware of uh, when I fell into severe depression. Um, I think it was it was labeled extreme postnatal depression. So I don't know if we have levels of postnatal depression. I know we have different variations of it, it's psychosis and hallucination, et cetera. Um, so I had severe depression, which I, I just didn't recognize. I think I, I didn't let myself recognize it. Mm -hmm. So my balance was as far tipped as I've ever experienced. Um, and you you know i think a lot of people do um liken it to you know alice alice down the rabbit hole and and just falling down this a hole that just goes on and on and it's so dark and there's just no you cannot see a way out at that time mm. um and for me i just wasn't even aware of it and until um it became yeah uh, pretty much a life or death situation mm -hmm. um and uh I was I'd, I'd had my son I'd had quite a few th things going on in my life so my son was was born in the summer um my older brother had suffered with a, a brain tumor for about 11 years and he became um then severely ill in the December and I was helping look after him um and traveling to see him and, and spend time with him and he was then bedridden uh, and he was and then I, I was there while he was on palliative care 
couple of months prior to this, my mom had been diagnosed with breast cancer and had been, she'd gone through a mastectomy and then chemotherapy as well, but she had, we hadn't told my older brother. So we, we kept that under wraps as well. I'd gone back to work. Um, so I was, you know, balancing and juggling all these things, but um, my older brother then passed away. Um, I went back to work and my son wasn't sleeping at the time. So I had a huge bout of sleep deprivation as well. He would sleep for about 40 minutes and then wake up for sort of half an hour, which, you know, there's, there's a reason they use uh, sleep torture as that, as, as, a, <laughs> as that method. It's horrific. Um, so I was in a really, really bad place and I just didn't realize it. I kind of just thought, get on with it, get on with being a mom, get on with life. And then I, I went back to work and I think the realization was I, I can only liken myself to being like a zombie. I have no recollection of what I was doing day to day, what was happening. I was just going through the motions and mm -hmm. I woke up um, and I was on the uh, floor of the women's toilets at work and I was literally curled around the toilet and I had no recollection of how I got there, um, really what was going on. I'd obviously been crying and it was almost like something or someone was picking me up and just like she said and I, and I it, it was like one of those things in the film I just actually walked out the building I walked straight over to the med center I walked in the door and um I'm I think I said something like I I need to see somebody and they said oh yeah we'll get you an appointment you know next week that'll be fine and I said if I don't see somebody today I won't be here tomorrow um at which point I think they took me quite seriously um, I think they actually looked up and looked at me and realized what I was saying. I was then taken by a duty driver straight up to the mental health unit at Catterick. And I was seen by um, the psych psychiatrist there who mm. wanted to admit me straight away. And I said no, because my son was still at home and I had to, to go back. Um, but I then was driven by a duty driver up to Catrick and spent every every hour of the working day at Catrick for the next two weeks. Um, and that that saved my life. Um, wow. yeah it, the doctor literally looked at me she I mean the first I think the first three sessions I couldn't actually speak I just cried I and I, I just couldn't say anything and then finally I was able to tell her all the things that were going on and what had happened and then she just turned around and she said you know it's not your fault this is what it's called and actually if you'd told me all about yourself and then put you in a lineup of people that might um suffer from this i would probably put you top of that list mm -hmm. and just somebody saying you're not crazy this is okay this is what people some people go through we're gonna help you we can we can sort this we can find a way through it was just like somebody lifting the the lid and, and shining that light at the end of the tunnel I would mm. never have believed it um and and I to the point now I, I obviously carry trauma from it I mm -hmm. can't look at photos of my son during that period without feeling physically sick um mm -hmm. it's a very emotional physical res response for me um and there's guilt with it um in the way I behaved and felt um and and the things that that happened or didn't happen the you know the bonding 
the, the time spent together. Um, and I will have to work through that probably for the rest of my life. Um, so I, I can understand when people say that, you know, they're having a bad day. I've had a really bad day. <laughs> I mean, there's a yeah. huge amount of emotional trauma that you had there, you know, stacked on top of each other. First of all, having a child when you're naturally sleep deprived anyway in the first year, intensely difficult um, without anything else going on in your life. And then losing a, a, a loved one who you, you know, who you who you supported to, you know, through the palliative care piece. And then obviously your mum being diagnosed with cancer and all of the associate <clears throat> treatment and therapy that she had, you know, in mm. isolation we might think that you we could handle it because we look at them separately, don't we? We go, well, I've got this going on and then I've got that and then I've got this, but actually trauma stacks. So, it, it, yeah. you know, and you had three major life traumas all stacked mm. together, one after the other. And so you have, yeah. you know, psychologically had the time to process the first one and then the second one landed and then you hadn't had time to process that and the first one and then the third one landed all in a very mm. quite a short period of time so it's completely understandable that you know it was incredibly difficult and your body ends up shutting down in whatever way it feels is the be you know preservation way to do it um and for yeah, you and it's a really dark place and, and that is the amazing thing about the human body, you know, uh, uh, physiologically, um, eventually, if the brain feels that much in danger, it is just going to shut down. Um, but I'd, I'd gone to this such a dark place with literally, I, I just couldn't feel anything anymore. And we have the fight or flight. Um, and uh, it, but then you have the, the, the shutdown. Um, mm -hmm. We had well to dissociate and, and, from yeah. it because it yeah. was so traumatic. You couldn't hold on to it anymore. And so, what Absolutely. often we say is, our body keeps the score. So you had mm -hmm. to hold on to it physically, and the physical yeah. holding of the trauma and all of the, mm -hmm. you know, we have inputs and outputs to trauma. So we have cognitive, autonomic, somatosensory, and emotional outflows. And you mentioned that cognitively. Um, mm. you can't look at pictures totally understandable because it's all wrapped up in that traumatic event um, but when we have all of these different inputs and outputs outflows from the trauma then we have to store mm. it somewhere and and we yeah. may store it in our body because our mind is full full yeah um, and then our body starts to shut down because it it, it does it doesn't want us it, it just doesn't have the capacity to store it as well yeah but I still you know even now though I still sort of think you know I was still extremely lucky mm -hmm. the things that happened to me in comparison to some things that happened to other people um to me still felt very insignificant you know I didn't lose mm -hmm. a limb I hadn't lost a husband um you know all these things so and I and I think that was perhaps part of the reason that it carried on for such a long period of time before I sought help was that I really didn't see it as a significant um, aspect that that required support or help you know all these other people with such bigger life um, traumas happening to them and um, that I just you know would said mine was completely insignificant mm -hmm. yeah and I think um, thank you for sharing that um, because I think a lot of people do that comparison <laughs> don't they 
and yeah, um, absolutely. you know oh well they've had it you know I suffered a miscarriage and I was very early on in my pregnancy but for me it was hugely traumatic and it, it would have been really easy for me to go well somebody's had it much later so you know or lots of people have a miscarriage so therefore it can't be that bad but actually the reality is if you if you're experiencing um outflows that you can't control going back to the balance piece that you mentioned mm. uh, and it's traumatic to just even talk about it you can't you know you're you you're emotionally uh, crying all the time which is totally normal and fine to cry about things but if you're having to suppress a normal outflow um, that your body needs to release the trauma um, then it's a trauma it doesn't matter if it's a you, you know if you think it's a small one or in your case it was lots of big ones um yeah it's still traumatic because that's how you perceive perceive it yeah so how did you um how did you work yourself um through it and and you know you mentioned that they shined a light on it and you felt like there was a way out. how did you find your way out of the tunnel the of darkness so as i said the, the mental health unit at catrick were hugely um influential and supportive they they put me on um, antidepressants straight away which when they explained again the sort of concept of them and the fact that my body just wasn't producing the right hormones it should be at the moment and this was going to help it and i i i often watch people now who say, well, I'm depressed, but why would I solve that with a pill? And it's like, yeah, but if you had um, septicemia or another illness, you would you would seek medical attention you, and you would take an antibiotic um, if you were told that was, you know, for your life and, and your, your, your health. So it's, again, is it, there is a big stigma attached with, I think, antidepressants still. I think there's a, a huge um, leap forward with it, but people still don't like to really say I'm on antidepressants because people are like, oh right so you can't cope with your problems it's like no it's not that you know I've gone through this level and now physiologically my body is not responding so I'm going to give it a helping hand whatever way that is yeah so I think that's really I just want to pause you there because I think that's really important you know that hmm. we talk about trauma uh, and psychological trauma is still a wound. The word trauma comes from the, the Greek wound. And, yeah. you know, when we when we have an open wound that we can physically see, like you mentioned, we take um, painkillers. When you have an internal wound that you can't mm. physically see, but you get an X-ray for, you, yeah. you take painkillers. But when you have a psychological wound, we kind of think that we don't have the right or entitlement to take the pain relief that is necessary in order to allow the healing internally to happen and get the support for the, for the healing process it's still yeah. a wound that that is entitled to be healed and get the you know and, and get the supporting nutrients and, and and pain relief that are necessary for you personally can be different for everyone um to support you on your healing journey yeah i mean a lot of people turn to alcohol because they can walk into a shop and purchase purchase it themselves and it can dampen down the emotions that they're feeling and, and get them through a couple of hours. Um, but it, again, it's it's not going to necessarily help them in, in the long run. Um, 
and you just sort of wonder well actually if the stigma was was taken away from antidepressants mm -hmm. and people sort of felt that they could discuss it and utilize them um, without the stigma would people readily um, access them in what I'm doing at the moment obviously what I'm trying to do is, is support people um, if they're, they're using antidepressants, that's great, but we, we're trying to encourage um, maintaining positive mental health through being outside and exposing yourself, you know, the, the green pill, the, the green therapy, mm -hmm. um, you know, um, vitamin C, you know, out in the water, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, there are gonna be times when you've, you've gone beyond that and you are gonna need that, that, um, that other element of support. Mm -hmm. And how, obviously, from yourself, you you had the great support from Catterick Mental Health mm. um, uh, section. And how did you personally work your way through it? What were the key steps that you were able to take, you know, with the yeah. antidepressants to support you on your journey back to uh, feeling yeah, so better? I, I think being able to talk to somebody. So I was, mm -hmm. I was seeing the psychiatrist um, very regularly and, and that sort of then spread out um, over time. They gave me um, the, the tools to really discuss it with my husband as well. Um, I remember that I was given this book, um, Postpartum Depression, it's an, it's an American book, but I have to say mm -hmm. it was an eye opener. And there were chapters in there that said, you know, if you've got a partner or a husband, you know, get him to read this. And and I gave it to my husband and he read it. And it really changed both of our outlooks on how to support me. I just became very open about it with other people. And that led me into a network and a, and a group and a community of um, people who were um, experiencing similar issues or had experienced similar issues. So again, it was being able to discuss openly feelings without being judged. So, so that helped. Um, I wasn't in any way ready to use my normal toolbox, i.e. physical exercise mm -hmm. or, you know, um, being outdoors as, as any sort of support. I, I spent a lot of time outside, but I don't remember it. I used to just walk for hours and hours, but if you'd asked me where I'd been, I never I could never remember. Um, but so my, my husband being made aware of postnatal depression and the severe depression, it really opened our eyes to how to support people and, and how to support me. And over the years, this happened, I mean, this happened in 2013, Mm -hmm. um and over the years there have been some some again difficult situations and 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 we can identify them and I try and I identify it before it happened and sort of say you know yeah I'm not really feeling good place right now and you know something needs to change and we need to take a step back and and he's just always there so I think having a, a, a that support um system around you I was hugely lucky but it was being given the knowledge of knowing that we we were really unaware of it at the time um and yeah even now he'll say if, if i'd have known or if i'd been aware of it and and he carries guilt as well you know um i've had to be completely honest and open to the point at which i got to which is shocking when you've got someone you love standing in front of you saying i i didn't want to be here anymore it makes mm -hmm. you feel so helpless um you know and that's perhaps again one of the triggers for him for us 
setting up up Kieran Gorans because he'd lost a lot of friends to suicide. And I, and I think underlyingly, there was the knowledge that had he not stepped in and we'd not found support and help for myself, I, I could have been that statistic as well. Yeah, and I know we were connected through Liz McConaughey, um, who, who also shares her journey mm-hmm. and how she survived suicide. So um, mm-hmm. I think it's such an important topic and something that often you know people's stories go on untold as to how what the what the lead was into them getting into the darkness that they've got themselves that they're in because the the only escape out seems to be a terminal one could you you know reflecting back would you mind um for those that are listening who are worried about oh um, am i in postnatal depression if you think back to it, what were the kind of early signs now that you know that mm. were that you you know were telling you you were going down down into a, a rabbit hole? Um, so one of them was the fact that I would not sit still and I couldn't sleep. So even when my husband was around or if I had friends come over um, and they offered to even take my son out for a walk in the buggy um, or you know they. they I specifically remember my my two IC came over with his wife and they said I was literally like sonic on speed. <laughs> I didn't sit down for the entire two hours they were there. I was cleaning. I was moving from room to room. I, um, I, I offered them tea. I didn't eat or drink anything myself. Um, it they just said it was just this crazy frenzy. And, and at the time they didn't know. I didn't know. Um, and I was past the point of being that tired. So I would literally, somebody would say, oh, I'll take your son. You can have, you know, a couple of hours yourself. And I would, and I'd say, go and lie down, you know, go and rest. And I couldn't, I just could not switch off. I would be lying there. I'd be twitching. I'd be almost in tears because I was so tired and I couldn't mm-hmm. physically sleep. Um, I felt numb to everything. So something would happen, you know, there'd be a baby smile or a giggle or um, someone would send me a message. I wouldn't read it. I would delete it. I would delete emails without even opening them. I specifically remember um, my husband was away for Christmas and he'd left some Christmas presents under the bed for us, for me to open when I went to my friends for Christmas. And I just opened them, you know, weeks before Christmas and just couldn't care less just threw them away I I was numb to everything mm-hmm. and you you look back on that now and you just think that's just not right but that was just what I was doing at the at the time yeah. um and I I think uh you know it, it if there's we we are very primitive animals and you know they always say trust your gut because it still functions in that way there's a gut instinct and I think yeah if you if you can take a moment to think really should I be doing this is this how I really if my friend told me this is what their day was like and maybe even try and write down what you're doing in your day and Mm -hmm. say right if my friend said this is what their day is would I think this is okay you know Mm -hmm. Um, everyone's normal is different and that's that's fine but it's when there's a, a distinct shift between um your normal and what's going to really affect you um physically and and, and mentally um yeah. and just your general being and and, and wellness mm. i love that you mentioned that actually on the the physical activity because it's also been mentioned by other um 
guests on the show, um, Natasha, who who had a, a, a breakdown from a workplace perspective, is she put all of her energy into her work life activity to avoid dealing with some emotional trauma. And then we also had um, uh, Rebecca Reed talked about post weaning depression, where she, you know, she's she kind of had this detachment mm. that you mentioned um, and, and you kind of shut down the emotions. You just you become almost emotionless. It's, it's kind of like your survival mechanism because your emotional bucket is overflowing. And the only way you can stop is to disconnect from it and put yeah. all of your attention into your physical activity as a kind of avoidance tactic um, to, to avoid the emotional um, uh, uh, trauma that you're holding on to. Absolutely, yeah. So um, so you obviously, you've worked your way through it. What were the sort of key step changes for yourself coming out of that period of life and, and that led you into what you'd now do? Um, yeah, I, th I think it was just to be a, a little bit more gentle on myself. I mean, as I said, the, the minute that the doctor told me it's okay, you know, I could I could have almost predicted this. It was like someone was just giving me time to sort of accept that it was it was happening and that it was okay. And it was a slow process to to work through. I, I mean, I, I I think I was on sick leave for the best part of the next eight months, even mm -hmm. um, of, of which I can't remember very much at all. Um, and as I said, I think it was just trying to be patient. A, a really difficult element of that time for me was the fact that my my parents were not supportive and okay. even <clears throat> after the diagnosis didn't really understand um and I I really I don't like you know, um putting a a brush over everyone but they were that generation they were very stoic they were very mm -hmm. um stiff upper lip you just got on with stuff and that's what you did so to tell someone that you know you're depressed it was like okay well that's fine you just keep that to yourself or you know um so I, I never really got a chance to sort of sit down and explain how bad it got mm. and the way I really felt. And so whilst my husband supported me and my friends supported mm. me um, a, a huge deal, I, I didn't have immediate family. Um, and actually the the nucleus of my, my family um, after my brother died, um, split essentially that it, it fell apart and the relationships were were never um as good as they were beforehand so I, I think um just taking time and and working through it step by step and it was it was almost like the approach to training don't you know don't try and do too much too soon um just give yourself time to heal and and also listen to not just yourself but also what the experts are saying because they're experts for a reason um and they're they're going to give you lots of advice and and you know i would recommend following following it um because it, it could save your life <laughs> and i love the fact that you you sort of said listen to yourself as well which is yeah. going back to what you mentioned you know when you were doing your commando training it, it is do what your body is 
capable of uh, and focus on that which is so important in your healing journey as well isn't it you know you've been you've been through the healing journey necessary to to win and pass uh, the army yeah. command course uh, and it needed rest <laughs> recovery yeah. for you to do that which is what we need to I, give ourselves permission and I, to do. I think I think that's a really difficult thing for some people as well. I mean, I, I've um, spoken to Liz and I've I've listened to um, her podcast and read her book as well. And I think, you know, both of us were very physical and very active people. And our default setting, you have an argument, you've had a bad day, let's go for a run, let's go for a swim, let's just smash it out, let's just, you know, hit the gym. And that's the default setting for a lot of physical people. So when you then take that, um, possibility away because you're so physically and, and, and mentally incapable of doing that mm. what's your next outlet what how are you going to cope with anything else that comes in um, and I, I think that is a really difficult thing to to accept and to try and then do and you, you just literally have to go back to your baby steps and think okay um, I, I, I can't go and run for miles or hit the gym for hours but maybe I will just sit outside on the doorstep with the dog um, for five minutes. Um, then tomorrow, if the sun's shining, I'm I'm going to sit outside for, it. you know what, sometimes even just getting out of bed um, yes. and actually getting getting dressed. If, if that's the step you can take, then then that's the one you've got to take. Um, and I and just but doing it at your own pace as well, because no matter what happens, you're the only one who knows how you really feel and mm. how you're really responding to that. Yeah, I agree. And, I, you know, having been in a dark place where getting out of bed was really difficult, is it's mm. so important to celebrate those wins because they mm. really are wins in the context of moving forward in life and be okay if you can't do it one day because that's, just, yeah, that's just the way it goes. Yeah. And I'd love to know how you moved from your, you know, leveraged your experience to now start the company that you have in helping others find peace and tranquility and, and, and use the outdoor environment to really support their, their mental and physical health and well-being. I am... Um... I mentioned before, you know, the support that my husband gave me through my my postnatal depression, and you know how close I I came um, to not being here. And through COVID, my husband was um, finding out that um, friends of friends and people in the regiment were were taking their own lives, um, and it, it it really impacted on him. At this time, he was working offshore, and then he he moved to IT. Um, so both were fairly intense jobs and when he came back he would spend time um, outdoors uh, the woodland that we'd taken ownership of and he would just feel the benefits and, and feel enormously um, better and we just sat down and we said how can we utilize this to help others there's got to be a way that we can put something together that gets people um, access to this um, and and provides an outlet for for those that really need it. It's whether they're um, post traumatic stress or just any sort of trauma or mental health or they're being medically discharged and you know they they just need a different uh, different environment and being outdoors and it's huge benefits that it brings with it without the huge costs. We're not talking about yeah. people that venture training to Belize or Cyprus, you know. Um, 
and everything we do people can take away with them and either follow up as a skill or do themselves you know we show people how they can put a hammock up we show them how they can just sit and embrace nature breathwork techniques um basic bushcraft um woodworking um cooking over campfire and, and these things that people often think are beyond them or perhaps they can't learn a new skill mm-hmm. we take it at their pace um and we just give them what we can to take away as well and we i think on the last course we had um there was a guy who came to us and they were on the course for three days and they they slept in hammocks outside we, we offered them bell tents they were like no we're gonna sleep right under the stars and after the first night he he came up to us and said that was the best night's sleep he'd had in nine years um, wow which thing yeah um another guy in the course came to us and said that he hadn't felt anxious all week and he hadn't felt any requirement to take his medication that he would normally be taking on a daily basis um so i I think just being able to provide something like that and have that influence on people and support them and help them I've, i've always enjoyed helping people it's kind of been what what i've really spent my life doing you know teaching um and and helping and coaching people and i i really like to see uh, um what it can do for others and, and give them skills go away with with something i think that's so important and i think you know we often underestimate the power of nature in the context mm. of how we can use it to support us on our healing journey and simply just connecting your senses you know our five senses that we that is our, you know can be our superpower um, and they can it can either work for us or against us is just connect you know grounding ourselves in nature uh, and using that to really support support us and, and i i love to use nature to literally ground myself um i talk about this a lot on the podcast but you know have taking that time just to to rest and and just mm-hmm. almost like a a a grounding I just literally will lie down on the ground or going out in bare feet and things like that is super super lovely um yeah if you go on my um yeah my my Instagram I finish any of my runs and I I walk around the grass with bare feet um for the for the grounding and I think like you said the the engaging of the senses because actually what we tend to do is we we bombard our senses at the moment and they're actually overwhelmed all the time yeah. with so much going on I mean when was the last time you you actually slowed down and ate your meal and rather than knowing what it should taste like and so telling yourself what it should taste like maybe actually closing your eyes and feeling what it actually tastes like um so I think being outside and and utilizing our senses but giving our senses time to act for us and be our senses rather than right I've only got five minutes or ten minutes to eat I've got to drive here so I'm not going to look at the scenery I'm you know we just bombard ourselves day in day out um and I think you know the reason nature works so well is because nature doesn't work at that pace nature works at whatever pace it wants to go at and it's normally a lot slower than ours (laughs) (laughs) it just reminds me when I took our daughter recently up a hill and she has her own little camera and it took us so long because literally every five steps you had to pause and stop and take a picture of the beautiful views. And normally, yeah. you know, like you mentioned, you're just quickly busy on your way. But when you've got uh, somebody who 
wants to absorb what nature that's around them and and hasn't got any preconceived mm. ideas about pace of life yeah it's just you just go at the pace that suits the slowest person and, and, and what a shame that we have to physically make time in our lives to do this but we we do that's the the lifestyle that we we lead now um and getting people on um to the, the workshops um on Opke and Gorans is doing that it's it's giving them the time but showing them that it's not impossible to fit that into your lifestyle or routine wherever you are whatever you're doing um you know and and I people will go on about it quite a lot you know take a few minutes or take half an hour you can just do some breath work and it's it's so beneficial and I think once you've shown people how accessible it is and the benefits you know, that's when people walk away and go yes I'm, I'm going to carry this with me now and mm -hmm. I can put this into practice for myself when I feel this way and and that's a great um, thing that that we want people to have and I, I'd love to know Pip um, because this show is all about brain health and unchaining your pain what um, piece of advice would you give to anyone who is worried that they might have postnatal depression what would be your advice to somebody whether it's a loved one or the particular person themselves what would your advice be to anyone in that position two things um, one is be honest with yourself you know, really sit down and, and try and work out what it is that's going on so be honest you know um, am I really sleeping am I really eating am I really feeling okay am I really behaving the way I should uh, that I have for the last x amount of years of my life and the second piece of advice I would give is is find somebody and, and talk to them about it be as open as you can about it and find someone it doesn't necessarily have to be a professional but someone you can feel that you can be honest with so as much as you can be honest with yourself be honest with them I you know and and it needs to be someone that's not going to raise an eyebrow that literally you can say I didn't want to get out of bed this morning or I let my baby cry for three hours because I couldn't physically pick them up and not mm. be judged. But someone that's going to come and put a, an arm around you and say, we're going to get through this. There's hope. There's always hope. You know, it's that old Star Wars adage that if there's hope, you can keep going. Um, yeah. And I think sometimes people just need to hear that, that they're not on their own. There is hope. Um, and whatever that path might be, not an easy one but there's definitely a way through mm, I, I love that and Amy who's on our show on episode four says that hope is having open possibilities every day and there's always a possibility to do something um it's mm. always open so there's always always hope and I love that and what what advice would you give to anybody who is feeling like um they need to reconnect with nature or how can they reconnect with nature to support themselves from a mental health perspective? Don't be hard on yourself. Don't think, right, well, I've got to get out for a run. Because if you don't like running, you're not going to keep running. Um, like you said, you know, it might be that you can just go and take your shoes off and stand on, on grass. When was the last time you did that? Unless you're a three-year-old kid. Um, it, so 
think about something you enjoy. Do you do you have a dog that you walk, but actually the pleasure has gone from it, so slow it down? Do you like being in water? If you like being in water, maybe find a wild swimming group that regularly meet and tell yourself, I'm going to go to this one or sign up and pay for something. Because if we actually pay for something, we've made a commitment, we're more likely to see it through. Um, or cycling yeah, or even just... Um, a foraging group if you like food and you like cooking or oh, I can't do that outside because you know you can so I think find an accessible route for yourself that you enjoy um, and you'd be amazed at, at what's out there and how easy that first step could actually be great advice and um with that in mind Pip how can people get hold of you and find out about Opcan Gardens and all the work you do up in Scotland I would love people to get in touch so they can go on our website, um, which I think you've been showing um, and, and will show. So see Opcairn Gorms and send us an email. The workshops are on there so they can book directly as well. They're free to anyone who attends. We apply for funding. We raise sponsorship money by doing very silly things like I did a dip a day in December. <laughs> outside um, through a lot of ice um, so we raise the money so there's no cost to anyone attending any of our workshops please yeah take a look at the website and if you want to have a little look at the stuff that I do you can find me on Instagram under wild wellness Scotland um, yeah I'd, I'd love to connect with anyone that wants some advice about postnatal depression or getting outside and wild wellness um, or our programme of Caring Gorms. Yeah, so for, for those that uh, didn't hear what um, Pip says, it's www.opcairngorms.org uh, to visit their website and operation underscore Cairngorms on Instagram or wild underscore wellness underscore Scotland on Instagram as well. Pip, it's been so much fun um, talking to you. Thank you so much um, for being uh, willing to share your story about your journey in the context of mental health which is such an important one um and i wish pe more people um were able to hear that there is hope out there um and it's important to find the right support for you that works for you so that you can find your way out of the darkness so pip thank you so much for coming on my show and remember everyone this show is all about brain health unchaining your pain you're not stuck with the brain you have you have the power to make it better and pip has kindly been here to show us how thank you pip thank you i really hope you enjoyed that conversation thank you so much for listening please be sure to like and share this episode and leave a review on my website or on apple podcasts if you're looking for opportunities to optimize your brain health or unchain your pain from a past trauma, make sure you visit my website, www.ruthmaryallen.com and use the code PODCAST10 at checkout to get 10% off all programmes. And always remember, you are not stuck with the brain you have. You have the power to make it better. You have the power to unchain your pain and optimise your brain power and performance so that you can win back energy and time doing what you love.